As the lights went down and as the screen came up, all I saw was that rhythmic movement of the, the yellow, orange, and red, almost, uh, almost hypnotizing. I'm, I'm staring into it. It's almost like it's a living thing. It's, it's the times I've sat around my own campfire and people tell you, you might not want to stare at it for too long, but but something just compels you. Once the flames are gone and the logs just now have that, that, that fire, that ember inside, and I watch the yellow, oranges, and reds just dance in the timber. A moment later, the camera picks us up and into the darkness, we see shepherds laying around sound asleep. A quick glance up against the rock cliff walls. They've laid down branches for protection. Their sheep are inside and it moves us through the darkness over the dry brush and over the timber that has fallen and the boulders and there the mighty river is flowing, white froth and the moonlight shining out. And we follow it for a while until it goes next to the huge gates. Up and over effortlessly it takes us and there we see the city sprawled out in front of us. Every now and then a solitary lone figure walking in the darkness, a stray dog here or there. Very few lamps are lit. The population is dead asleep, and in the distance you see it emerge, the giant walls of inner Great Babylon. Up and over the 300 feet, guards on top at every post, and inside the security, we see homes of a different size and a different structure. It's the elites. It's those with power, prominence, position. And we notice the cobblestone in the streets are well-groomed, taken care of, and at the very end, another large gate in the castle. Up and over into the manicured gardens where everything is trimmed, everything is in bloom, where water falls and trickles, and then up the marble columns to the second floor. Over inside the palace, the large tapestry of silk is gently blowing in and out with the night breeze. And the camera brings us up and through and one of the largest beds I've ever seen with a canopy structure on top of it. And there he lays. We see his eyeballs underneath his lids darting back and forth. He's restless. Sweat starts to break across his brow. He doesn't need to have his headgear on to know. This is the most powerful man in the world. And something Something keeps waking Nebuchadnezzar at night. It's the seventh night in a row he's had the dream. And at the end, when the large comet strikes and everything explodes, with a gasp, he sits up in bed. <laughs> he will slip his feet over the side and let his bare feet hit the marble. He will walk to the edge of his balcony, rest his hands on the smooth timber, look out over all the expanse of what he has. 500 miles in every direction is his. And yet something terrorizes the most powerful man in the world. And on this night, he will bring it to an end. Tomorrow there is a summons. It is spread far and wide. And the best of the best will all show up. He won't fall for their games. He doesn't want to hear from their dream analogs. He doesn't want to hear from their parallels that they've learned in school, that a tree means life and river means movement and fog or smoke means unclarity. I'm not going to give you the answers. You have to tell me my dream 
and you have to tell me what it means. Somewhere he knows this dream has to do with him. And the lens of scripture has already flown us into the first few verses of our next chapter in Daniel. We will pick it up in chapter two. We've got a lot to cover from two and three. So get your Bibles ready. Get something to write with. We're in Daniel chapter two. Tonight, I'm not giving you answers. Tonight, I'm going to give you the consequence. If, if by Saturday you choose to get back into a vehicle, a car, a van, or a bus, an SUV, if by Saturday you decide you are going to walk out of here, a Christian, one who serves Christ, if by Saturday you decide you will take what we'll be learning home with you and say, I will follow this God, tonight you're going to get a glimpse of what you're signing up for. It's an all or nothing contract. And we find our four teenagers, because of a decision they made their freshman year in the cafeteria, are in the epicenter of Babylon. Verse 1. So in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled. He couldn't sleep. So the king summoned all the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and all the astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came and they stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream and it troubles me and I want to know what it means. And then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. But the king relied to the astrologers. This is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into little pieces. I put little in there because they're big, they're small. And your house is burned in piles and rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Well, well, once more, they replied, well, uh, let the king tell his servants the dream, and then we can interpret it. And the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. And the astrologers answered the king, there is not a man on earth, circle, highlight, underline, who can do what the king asked. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, any enchanter, any astrologer. What the king asked is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. Well, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death as well. And I absolutely love this story and how it opens. The most powerful man in the world is waking at night. He's got a dream we're about to find out about. It's a weird dream, but he knows this has something to do with me. And he's not going to fall for the tricks of all his magicians and sorcerers. 
I'm going to tell you a dream. You're going to give me some interpretation. I don't know if it's true or not, and I just have to trust you guys. But if I make you tell me my dream, then I know you're smart enough to also have the interpretation. And so the next day it happens. All of Hogwarts shows up and everyone comes in and and they've got everyone there and everyone's learned their spells and everyone's learned their incantations and everyone has their dark arts and their black magic and everyone has their astrology and their astronomy and everyone has got everything they've studied. And the king pulls a fast one on them. I'm not giving you an answer that you have to interpret. You tell me. And I love their lines. Oh, oh, king. There is not a man on earth that can do what you're asking. What you're asking only comes from the gods. So the king says, cut them all into pieces and burn their houses down. So a knock comes to Daniel and he answered the door and he goes, yeah, can I help you? They're like, yeah, we're here to cut you into pieces and burn your house down. And Daniel's like, what the heck did I do? It's Saturday. I'm watching cartoons. I'm hanging out. What gives? Well, the king gave a degree, and no smart guy could come up with it. See, we realized Babylon is the great. Babylon has the greatest of education. Babylon is the greatest in academia. Babylon has the greatest literature, the greatest arts, the greatest science, the greatest engineering, the greatest architecture. Babylon has the best the world has to offer, and yet the king is going to come to a place where the world can't give him an answer. Oh, Ponderosa, let me promise you this. You have faced already, and you are going to face so many things in life that Babylon will not be able to give you an answer for. Remember, we looked at it yesterday. Babylon says, hey, hold on to your youthfulness. Hold on to your vitality. Hold on to your sexuality. Please yourself. Follow yourself. Do whatever you want with yourself. Make sure you have something to offer. You're going to find your value and worth in what you do. And if you don't have a good body and you're not good looking and you're not sexy and sexual and you don't offer something to us, well, then you're, you're not going to make it. Where the Bible comes and says, no, everyone's been created in the image of God. You have value and worth simply because of whose you are, not because of who you are. It's not what you do. It's what's been given to you. And it's not all about you. It's about something greater. But you've got a choice to make. By Saturday, when you get in a vehicle and you go home... And I'm here to just tell you, if you want to follow this world, if you want to follow culture, I promise you, you are going to run across things that they do not have an answer for. Maybe it's because the size of our church, the amount of stuff we have to deal with is just unending week after week. I got to go to a hospital where I know their room number and I go up and yet there's a big piece of paper on the door that says absolutely no one allowed in. So I go to the nurse's station. I said, hey, I'm supposed to, like, I'm sorry, there's no visitors at all. I said, oh, okay, but they called me and they wanted to come. Who are you? And I said, I'm their pastor. And she goes, you're the only one that's supposed to go in. Do you know what happened? I said, I'm afraid so. And she said, well, their child is still in there with them. Everything, everything for nine months looked like it was supposed to be perfect. And I don't know why. And somewhere soon after the delivery, they're not going to have a child. It's been six hours. And the baby's still in there, and they're waiting for me. 
And I open the door and I walk in. And the husband gets up and he runs over and he gives me a big hug. And he says, can you bring her back to life? You can't ask me that. Do you believe God can raise people from the dead? Of course, he has. It's what made Jesus different than any other teacher, any other philosopher, any other belief, any other religion. It's what separates Christianity from, from, from Buddhism, from Hinduism, Confucianism, from Taoism. That he wasn't a prophet, he wasn't a teacher, he wasn't a wise guy, he was God and he raised from the dead. But, but you can't ask me. We can pray. But if you're asking me if I have the faith to pray and bring your little girl back, I think you got the wrong pastor. Here's what I know. We're going to sit here and we're going to talk about a God that can give you what you need to move through this moment. You will never get over it, but you will learn to live with this. And I promise you there's nothing outside this hospital room that can give you an answer for that. to sit beside beds of someone who's been sent home from the hospital because they've been told there's nothing more we can do. Do you want to pass away here or do you want to pass away at home? And to sit with family in a circle around a bed and just wait for those moments and to realize if there is no Christ, if there is no life after, if there is no heaven, what is your answer for a day like that? to talk with a wife who's been through a horrific betrayal by a husband and realize there is nothing that Babylon offers that can make you good to walk through this. But I've got an answer for you. What do you do when you pray and pray about cancer but cancer continues to grow? Babylon doesn't give you an answer for that. What do you do with the betrayal and rejection that you've already felt by the hands of those that are supposed to love you? You see, Babylon doesn't have an answer for that. What do you do with your guilt and shame that you have because of maybe who you are and what you've done or what's been done to you? You see, Babylon doesn't have an answer for that. What do you do with your own self-esteem, your own self-worth, your own gender, your own transgender, your own heterosexuality or homosexuality? What do you do with your own dysphoria, your own stuff, your own wrestling? You see, Babylon doesn't have an answer. Babylon says that there is no God, you're God, live for yourself, do what you think is right, and I promise you are going to get to Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world, who's going to come to places who says, I have everything, and yet I don't have the answers I'm looking for, because Babylon can numb you, Babylon can make you feel good, Babylon can fulfill you, but when it comes to the greater issues of life, of your value, your worth, your identity, your sexuality, your relationship relationship, your purpose, and your significance. Babylon can't give you an answer. But the one who made you, the original Big Bang that spoke us into being, can give us the instructions and the directions. And, and, and there's, there's a knock on the door. <laughs> and then Verse 14, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death all the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact, and he asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? 
And Arioch explained the matter to Daniel, and Daniel went in, and the king asked for time so that he might interpret the dream. And Daniel returned to the house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now, during the night, The mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision, and Daniel praised God of heaven and said, praise be the name of God forever and ever in wisdom. It was his wisdom. He changes the times. He sets up kings. He gives wisdom. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness. It all dwells in him. Oh, you are God, the God of my fathers. You've given me wisdom. You've made things known to me. You have made known to us. I've shortened the prayer, but the pronouns are amazing. It is God. It is he, he, his, he, he, his, you, 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 his. (laughs) So Daniel goes, why are you going to kill us and cut us into pieces? Well, here's what the king said. Time out. Tell the king I just need a day or two. He got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Guys, we got to pray. We're going to pray or die. And they're like, well, we'll pray. <laughs> and they pray all night. And God gives Daniel the dream and the interpretation. Oh, whoa, whoa. Wait a second. Is that the God of the screen? <laughs> no. At the end of chapter one, what special gift did it say Daniel had? Daniel had the gift of vision, interpreting dreams. So why do they have to go and spend all day and night praying for it? Daniel has a gift of interpreting dreams. So when Ariat comes, and Daniel's like, yeah, can I help you? He's like, yeah, I'm supposed to kill you and burn your house. Why? Because no one can interpret the dreams. Daniel should have said, I can interpret dreams. That's what I'm good at. What do you mean? Oh, yeah, God's given me that gift. Let's go. Take me to the king. And walked in with his confidence, going, this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm better than most at. But not Daniel. Daniel shows us something about unique gifts. Daniel doesn't want to use his gifts, even though they've been given to him, without the giver. And this is going to become important for this chapter and the next. Here's why it's important for you right now. Because every one of you have been given gifts. I don't, I don't know what they are either. Some of you, you may be finding out about them right now. Some of you, it takes time to look in the rear view mirror and go, you know what? I've always been good at doing this. Some of you, it may be athleticism. Some of you, it may be learning. Some of you, it may be gifts of hospitality. Some of you, it's listening. Some of you, it's going to be gifts of administration. Some of you, it's going to be gifts in economics and finances. Some of you are just given a gift musically. Some of you have talents that just come easier to you than other people. You are all made uniquely to have a purpose in the kingdom of God. Therefore, you have a gift, and it's uniquely given to you. And the great thing in life is finding out you're good at, what your gift is and using it. But let me tell you about the most amazing thing in life. When you know what your gift is and it's being used with the giver, it's in fuego. It is the sweet spot of life, my friend. It is what you're going to wake up every day and go, I can't believe I get to do this. So, so I was that kid that always got kicked out of class because I would never shut up. I had a desk out in the hallway and they'd always put me in the hallway when I was in elementary school. Teachers were always not home. Hey, your son won't shut up. We don't know what to do with him. And my mom would write a letter. We don't know how to get him to shut up either. Thank you. That's why we send him to school. He just talks all the time. We sat him in the corner and we hear him talking to the wall. He'll talk to the corner. He'll talk to the eraser on the dry boards. He'll talk to anything. And I just talked. 
Here's the other thing. He won't sit still. He always moves around. We can't get him to sit still. And anytime we say do something this way, he always does it a little different. He never follows the instructions. He never stays in line. And so I knew about this for about the first 10 years of my life. There's something in me that's broken. I'm not real smart because every test I've taken told me you're not real smart because I'm not good at test taking. I'm not great at reading. I can't pull thought off of words. And so I just knew I've got some weird jacked up stuff. Early on, they just called it I was undisciplined and hyperactive. Now we got cool letters for it. I'm ADD. I'm ad, baby. I'm ad. What it means then, no matter what is going on in my life, the screen right now is you guys and I'm trying to teach. There's about nine other screens going on in my head right now and they're all controlled by different monkeys. And I don't know how to control the monkeys. I learned to label them and I try to focus on the one that I'm supposed to do, but everything else just goes on. So you look at that and go, you're gonna be, you're gonna be a wreck. And I, and I had that said about me so often that I knew I'm just never gonna amount to much in life. Here's what I didn't know. I'm supposed to be the only one speaking in the room. I'm not supposed to be sitting still. I'm supposed to be moving around. <laughs> I'm not supposed to see things the way everybody else is. See things. I see things through story and lenses, and I tell a story about that, and I do things differently than most pastors, and I don't know why, but I can't be a real pastor because I'm not smart enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not well-read enough. So I'm just a guy with puppets and a storyteller, and those that like it come to my church, and those that don't, we try to get them to go somewhere else because neither of us will be happy. And I found... Everything they tried to beat out of me when I was a little kid was a gift that I'm supposed to do as an adult. I found out my quirky little sense of humor and how I see things was something that was put in me at a young age. I'm sorry they kicked you out of class because you wouldn't stop talking. You're made to be the only guy talking in class. Oh, someone should have told my teacher that. You're made uniquely you for a purpose, for a reason. But here's what Babylon's telling you today. Use your gifts, make it about you. That's your reputation, that's what you're known for. It's your MVP or it's your GPA. That's gonna be you. And Daniel takes his MVP, his GPA, and he goes, I'm not gonna do it without G-O-D. And it's gonna be about him. I, I had this conversation with a guy who was just wildly successful bringing home millions of dollars every year through his entertainment gift. Rolling Stone at one point had written about him being number one in what he did in his gifts in the rock world. We're at his recording studio and we go out for lunch for burgers. He's telling me about the last tour they were on that he just got back from and a big problem they had because of stuff he was doing on stage. CNN is showing up at his studio. Fox is showing up. Everyone wants to cover this. He wants to know if I will sit by him as his pastor. And I told him, I will not. Because that guy on stage, that performer, has no pastor. He's his own God. He's all, what do you mean? You're my pastor. I said, not on stage. I go, you do realize there's a day that God's going to ask you what you did with all the gifts he gave you. He's all, what? I go, there's a story in the Bible. What Jesus tells, says one day God's gonna come back and he's gonna look at your life and said, I've given all of you a certain amount of talents, gifts, abilities. And he's gonna say, what did you do for my kingdom? And this guy looked at me. 
I thought this was old news. I remember him putting down his hammer, and he goes, what are you trying to tell me? I said, there's going to be a day that God said, I made you one of the greatest in the world in what you do in the area of rock and roll. And he's going to say, how did you use it for my kingdom? No joke. He looked at me and he goes, if that's true, I'm really, and he used an adjective, but I'm saying in a bad space. If that's true, I'm really in a bad space. And I said, I know. (laughs) That's why we're having lunch. He didn't take another bite. He sat back. And for the first time in his life, at the end now of his career, his mind was spinning, realizing, I haven't done anything for God with my gifts. I've been generous with a lot of the money I've made, but I'm I'm a millionaire. I've never honored God on stage. He goes, but that guy on stage is an act. I give the people what they want. And I said, I know. If I thought that guy on stage was real, I wouldn't be having lunch with you. I said, but God wants to know how those gifts represented him. And it blew him away. He's one of the best that Babylon has to offer. And he's got no answer to a creator that says, I've given each of you something. Daniel's been given the gift of interpreting dreams, and Daniel won't use that gift until he has the giver. Now Daniel goes to the king and says, I know your dream. And king goes, really tell it to me. He goes, you you dreamt of a huge image. The head was made of gold. The shoulders were all made of silver. The thighs and middle section was all made of bronze, and the feet were made of clay and iron. And Nebuchadnezzar goes, I see that. It's like a giant transformer. Every night it walks out into my dreams. He goes, yeah. And then like a giant rock comes flying in and busts it into pieces. He's like, that's exactly what happens. He goes, I wake up every night just right there. What's it mean? And Danny goes, here's what it means. You're the head of gold. He goes, yes, I like it. But it doesn't last long. There's going to be another king that comes after you and another king, and there's going to be another empire. But all of them are rocked and crushed by this giant boulder. It's not going to stand. Your place, your power is fleeting. It's temporary. You don't have anything eternal going on in your life. And by the way, this came from God, so I know it's going to come true. And at the end of this chapter, watch what happens. Verse 46. In verse 46, it says this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate. He laid down before Daniel. He paid him honor, and he ordered that an offering of incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, and you were able to reveal this mystery to me. Then King Nebuchadnezzar placed Daniel in a high position. He lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of his wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained at the royal court and they all lived happily ever after. Nope, it's only chapter two. You see, Nebuchadnezzar goes, surely your God is the God of gods. You're the Lord of lords. But here's the problem. Nebuchadnezzar lives in a polytheistic universe. 
Poly meaning many, theistic God. They have many gods, many gods and goddesses, many divas. Your God has got to be one of the greatest gods. But see, he's not the only God in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He just realizes you've got a great God. And he rises up Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to some of the highest places in the land. And Daniel gives all credit to his God. Have you ever stopped to realize that the things we do well, we do without God? What is it you do well? And then I'd follow up with, well, how much do you pray about that before you do it? Well, not much. I do it well. What do you do really bad that you have to do? Take test. How much do you pray before a final? I do that. We pray for things that we don't do well. We pray for things that we can't control. But the things we do well and the things that we can control, we don't pray for. Why? Because you got this. Can I just challenge you? If you ever truly want to be a Christian, a Christian, always pray for the things you do well. The things that you do better than others. Make sure you give God credit. Before I teach, every time I have the same two prayers that I go through. Everywhere I go, wherever I teach, the same prayers. And the same prayers about giving it to God. About 34 years of work, experience, trying on stories, teaching this stuff. But God, it's got to be about you. You've got to show up. You've got to do this. I don't want to step out and just be Chris Brown. Chris Brown's not going to touch anybody's life. But God, you can. And God, with that stage comes ego and pride. Can you take the ego and pride? Because I really don't need to walk out of here as a 53-year-old, chubby, slightly balding, sweaty dude and really hope that a 16-year-old thinks I'm cool. That doesn't need to be a part of my life. But somewhere in the masculine soul, it is. I want you guys to think I'm the coolest chapel speaker you've ever had. Why is that in the head? Don't clap for that. That's sin. Please don't clap for sin. What is that? That's pride and ego. Pride and ego. Why is that there? Because I'm a product of Babylon. And so before I use my gift and after I use my gift, I have the same prayers every time. Otherwise, I'm going to walk out thinking it was me. You've been given something. You know you're better than most in an area. There's stuff that comes to you quicker than others. When you find that, pray into that. When you find that, ask God to develop that. When you find that, ask God, the giver, to be a part of those gifts and see where he takes you. Nebuchadnezzar now walks away realizing I'm the head of gold, but it's not going to last. In the 10 minutes we have left, watch chapter 3. How are we going to do that? Chapter 3 is huge. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and he set it up in the plain of Dur in the province of Babylon, and then some of the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, all the administrators, and all the other province officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, all those people showed up. Verse 4, then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are, this is what you are commanded to do. Oh, this is what you, <laughs> remember I said I had a problem reading, so don't laugh at it. <laughs> that big word R threw me on that one. I just got pirate monkey in my head, started jumping up and down. This is what you are commanded to do. O peoples, nations, and men of every language, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lip, as soon as the band started playing, all the peoples and all the nations of every language fell down and they worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. 
Now at this time, some of the astrologers came forward and they denounced the Jews. Uh Oh, we got the race card being played. All the nations, all the people. But someone's been keeping an eye on those Jews. Why? Because they got promoted. They're slaves. And you put them in the administration? They're slaves, they're foreigners, they're Jews. And you put them over us? See, that doesn't sit well. And these Jews have something different about them. They believe there's the original Big Bang, one God, only true God, creator God. And Nebuchadnezzar has made an idol, 90 feet tall, nine feet wide, all gold. You see what's going on here? Well, if my dream is a head of gold and there's other layers that can get smashed, I'm going to make me all gold. I'm going to make this about my image. I'm going to make this back about me again. Oh, his praise of Daniel's God wasn't surrender moment. He just believed Daniel's God is awesome, but I'm still going to rule and run Babylon. And some people, people kept an eye on the Jews because there's a way to get them out of power. There's a way to get them out of position. And we know something about them and their God, and I bet they're going to have a tough time with today. And sure enough, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, O King, live forever. You've issued a decree, O King. And then they snitched on these guys. When the bands played, these guys didn't bow down. So verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? that you do not serve any gods or worship the image of gold that I've set up. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, when you hear the band play, fall down and worship the image I made. Very good. But if you do not worship it, you're going to be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Oh, I believe in your God, but I believe in my hand and what I am and what I can do more than your God. So we're going to play the music again. This shows that Nebuchadnezzar has some favoritism to these guys because this guy has been killing people left and right, but he gives them a second chance. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown in the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hands, O king. But even if he does not, We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. So Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, and he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. And the king's command was so urgent And the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and he asked, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, O king. He said, look. I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. When Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out of here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire 
And the satraps, pretexts, governors, royal advisors crowded around them. They saw the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. The ropes apparently had burned off, but their uncooked, unsmoked, untouched, unsinged. And Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is not a story of how God saves you. Can you get that? If this is a story that if you stand and do the right things, God will always come through for you and save you, you failed this text miserably. This is not a story of how God saves you from fire. This is a story of how we serve God. If, by the end of this week, you decide that you want to be a Christian. Their answer is, our God can save us from the fire. (laughs) Man, that looks odd. So if he doesn't, we're going to die and see him. Either way is win-win. But we're not going ahead with what you want. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm reading the story, there's so many ways I look at this and just think, guys, you could have done this so many different ways. There's so many ways when this, this, this 90-foot gold tower and the band starts playing. By the way, isn't there something in this with music? <laughs> I just want to caution you. You are probably the most amazing music generation we have ever had in the history of the world. You don't have to listen to a cassette. You don't have to listen to a CD. You don't have to listen to radio. You have your own music, your own playlist. 24-7, you are more connected to music than ever before. Please hear me on this. I am not down on music at all. When we get to heaven, you're all going to be amazed that all we do is worship to 80s songs. I just think, I think in front of the Lord God... You too is just going to be playing. And that's going to be our worship band in heaven. I love music. My kids make fun of my old school taste in music, but I love music. But there has always been a power in music. There's always been a power of the verse. There's always been a power of the band. I just want to challenge you. If you're going to be set apart as a Christ follower, I would challenge you, be wise on what you're constantly putting in to your body. Just be wise. What are the lyrics? I don't believe there's such a thing as Christian music. There's not. Music is music. There's good lyrics and there's bad lyrics. Music itself is neutral. Drums aren't Christian or secular. Guitars aren't Christian or secular. But if you're a prince or a princess, a son or daughter of the king, I would just challenge you. What are you constantly feeding your brain? When the music plays, everyone bows. And in the sea of people, the wave starts at the front and comes down. And these three dudes are just standing there. And I would love to know the conversation. You're going down, you're standing up. You're going down, shut up. You better hurry quick. We gotta make a decision right now. If you go down, I'm going down. You stand up, I'll stand up. Are you going, what the heck you done? Crap, my shoe's untied. (laughs) Got out of that one. I'd be a guy digging into my pockets. Music starts playing, I'm like, 
What's that, pennies? Let's pick up pennies. Let's get some pennies down here. Or I'm the guy that just compromises. I'll bow. There's no use dying, but I'm not bowing to this God. It's a stupid idol of gold. I know who my God is. I'll go along with this, but it's stupid. It's just ridiculous. See, what, what we've made a habit of doing is just kneeling on the outside while we're standing on the inside. I mean, I, I don't want to look different from everyone else at school, but inside I know who I am. I'll go along with whatever's happening Friday night. I'll go along with whatever's being said in the locker room. I'll go along with whatever's being done in the car. I'll go along with whatever he wants or whatever she wants, but inside I know. And that's all Babylon wants. Babylon doesn't care if you have a God. Babylon doesn't care if you call yourself Christian. They're polytheistic. There's many gods, many beliefs, many philosophy. Who do you got? Jesus Christ? Yippee-yay for you. Just keep going along with Babylon. It's Nebuchadnezzar faith. You have the true God, but I'm going to make the image about me. I'm going to make the idol about me. If you dare this week to make a commitment to follow this God, I promise you, these are the choices you're going to have to make starting Saturday on your way home. Am I willing to be found out? Am I willing to be discovered? The Bible says the moment you come and you serve this one true king, you are his. He bought you with a price, the death of his son. Therefore, he owns you. You've signed over ownership to him. You will stand out. That's the point. That's the purpose. God is not interested in just saving you. God wants you because it's a way to get to your friends. It's a way to get to the others on the lacrosse team. It's a way to get to the others in the band. It's a way to get to others in your class. It's a way to get to those in your dance. It's a way to get to those that are in your circle. That's why God wants you. And for that to happen, you're going to be different. You have to be different. By definition of the word, you are now going to be a Christian, one who follows Christ, and you no longer follow Babylon. In fact, the Bible would say you're going to be light. You're going to be like a city on a hill. You're going to be a candle in the dark room. There's going to be something noticeably different about you because you don't say the same words. You don't drink the same things. You don't smoke the same things, and you don't tell the same jokes. And you tend to use your gifts for a different purpose. It doesn't idolize you. It doesn't build your platform. It doesn't make your stage. It's not something Rolling Stone is going to write about because you're always going to project it's about a God that I serve. One day I have to be accountable with the life he's given me and the gifts he's given me. You see, to do that, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb from Babylon. On that day, those three guys did not make a decision. They followed through with their decision they made in the cafeteria their freshman year at Babylon U. That's when the decision was made. Come hell or high water, we're standing in the cafeteria and we're doing this together. So the fiery furnace was terrifying, but it wasn't a decision time. I'm just following through with the decision I already made. So my God can save me or I'm about to see my God. But I've made that decision. I purposed in my heart not to defile myself with Babylon. And yet the scariest thing for you to do is to be different than the rest of your high school. It terrorizes you. And so we play Nebuchadnezzar faith. I say there's one true God. I believe in my heart there's a big God. But I'm not about to be set apart. 
The big churchy word is called sanctified. We bring this home with three things you're going to have to do if at the end of this week you're going to say, I'm going to follow Christ. Number one, you have to be willing to be set apart. Are you willing to stand apart? Are you willing to be different, sanctified? God says, I bought you with the death of my son. I forgave you. I saved you. And now you're mine for my purpose, sanctified. We learned sanctification when the kids were small around our table. My wife, Amy, had made a plate of brownies, and she put three of them out and told the kids, after dinner, you can each pick a brownie. And they all looked at the brownies. Noticeably, there was one brownie bigger than the other two. And I'm sitting there going, I need to cut a sliver of that and make it equal. But while I'm looking at that bigger brownie, the kids are all looking at the bigger brownie, and they're looking at the food on their plates. I got a little boy named Barak. I call him Bear. You can't. His name's Barak. And that little bugger, remember he's a smart one that wants the butter toast in the toaster? That little guy sees his sisters looking at the brownie. He knows he can't eat it. He knows he has his food. So what he does is he grabs the big brownie, he licks the top of it and put it back on his plate. And then he just sits there. What he did was sanctified that brownie. He set it apart from the other brownies. He made it different. He put himself, part of him, on that brownie where both of his sisters now realized We're not going to touch that big brownie. And he sat back, that little goofball, with the biggest grin on his face and slowly started to eat his food because he knew what brownie he was getting. And I thought, he's just like me. He's a genius. Are you willing to be his? Are you willing to be set apart? Because of his love and what he's done for you and the way he wants to be father in your life and he wants to be the answer for you when divorce still happens, when cancer still kills, when abuse still happens. This isn't a story that if you follow God, he'll save you from everything. That is not our God. This is a story of how we serve regardless. Fire has killed everyone else that has been thrown into it up to this point and after. This is not how to escape death. This is, are you willing to take a stand and be set apart? He wants all of you, and I don't know why it's so hard for us to understand. 28 years ago, give or take a year, I married my wife. Stood there in front. I said, I do, which didn't surprise anybody. She said, I do, which shocked everybody. A bunch of people in my family started exchanging 20s. They all lost bets. I was like, what? She's going through with this. Her family started crying. <laughs> and we started life. We got about a year and a half into marriage. And I, what's beeping over here? What is that? Uh, dude, seriously, beeping monkey is going crazy right now. What is it? Somebody's airdropping stuff right now? I'm sure that's good. So, it did sound like airdrop, didn't it? So we get married, and about a year and a half into marriage, I had to catch up with the upfront monkey who's trying to get the whole band going back in one direction again. And about a year and a half into marriage, I run into an old girlfriend that I hadn't seen in a long time. It was a pretty great relationship, and I come back and I tell Amy about it. And she's like, what'd you do? And I said, I was out shopping, I ran into her, we had a conversation, I said, we went out, we got a bite to eat afterwards, and I said, babe, here's what I'd love to do. Is there any way 
that every six months, she and I can get together and just have one night. So two nights a year. But the other 365, babe, they're yours. Now listen, listen to how selfish my wife is. She's like, no. And I'm like, babe, 365 nights. I'm only asking for two. And she has a fit. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? This would be like the best score I've ever gotten my entire life. I've only missed two out of 365. Baby, you have like every other night. But no, she wouldn't put up with it. <laughs> I hope by now you know this is a terrible illustration that never happened. Of course it never happened. But did you sense the room? Do you understand how ignorant we are? You are appalled that I would ask for two nights a year from a simple mortal woman, but we have no problem cheating on the God of the universe whenever we decide to kneel. But we're appalled that a woman demands all of me, that a woman wants all of me, that because I said some pledge down in front of a church to a woman, now you're appalled that I would ask for two nights a year, but we have no problem cheating on our God, our God, because he does not deserve or demand more than a woman. Something has gone fatally wrong in our understanding, a surrender, because we take Babylon on every screenshot, on every swipe, on every lyric, on every want, on every desire, and I think of nothing on betraying the king of kings. Oh, but don't even joke about two nights a year on a woman. What has gone wrong in our understanding of commitment? If you were going to be a Christ follower, he wants, demands all of you. And he will give you so much more. Are you willing to stand and be different and be setting apart? Is number two, whose script am I following? All of you have an idol. All of you have a king. It's either God or it's something else or just you. But you've all already made a decision. What script am I following in life? What am I basing my morality on? What am I basing my dating relationship on? What am I basing my choices on? What am I basing my sexuality on? What am I basing my talents on? What am I basing my gifts on? What am I basing my grades, my success, my paycheck on? All of you already serve something. You don't get to go through life and not serve something. You can serve Babylon, and Babylon says, you're God, you make your own choices, or you can serve him. But what script are you following? Which brings you to final, which Nebuchadnezzar showed, whose image am I building? Whose image am I building? It's chapter two and three. Daniel says, I have gifts, and I don't want to use them without the giver. And I'm here to give the giver credit. And Babylon says, we have problems that we don't have answers for. And Daniel says, I know a God who has the answers. I know a God that can walk me through. I know a God that can heal my past. But we demand this God extinguishes the flames. If there's a loving God, why did I get hurt? If there's a loving God, 
then why did this happen? And God says, you live in Babylon. I've allowed free will. It's the only way for you to find love. There has to be a choice to love, which means there's a choice to unlove. Do not blame God for the brokenness and fall of this culture. It's a God that says, I will give you answers in the midst of your brokenness and your fall. And I will give you what you cannot find on this earth. But here's the trade. Because the price I paid. I'm going to want all of you. And I will do something with you and your gifts and your talents and your past and your brokenness and your hurt and your shame and your pain that I promise you this culture cannot have an answer for. But I'm going to want all of you. And apparently, by my dumb illustration, you understand that meaning well. We just refuse to give it to him. Because he's just God. It's the epic story of four teenagers that will change a kingdom. Because a conversation their freshman year in their cafeteria. I've seen enough of this world. I just want to be different. I want to change my family and my background. I want to be different. I've tasted enough of Babylon, and it's left me wanting and wanting more and never satisfied. I just want to be different. And you have a God that says, I will give you everything in a relationship like no other. And the answer is you need to walk through this life. I probably won't save you from the flames. I won't keep bad things from happening. If I did that for you, I'd have to do it for everyone. There'd be a miracle for everyone. The entire world would be robotic. There'd be no choice. There'd be no free will. Instead, I will be with you through the darkest nights and the most heartbreaking things. And I will give you answers that the best sorcerer, magicians, enchanters of the kingdom cannot come up with but I'm going to want all of you. I will not take you calling yourself a Christian and whoring around with the world and thinking you can play both sides. That's Nebuchadnezzarism. That's not Christianity. We're only on day two, and this is about to get real. Father, may you awaken us to the type of God that you are. And when we come to understand that, may you awaken us to what it means to be your kid, your son, your daughter, to walk through this planet holding the hand of the creator of the universe, knowing we are one of the most dangerous people in California because of who our father is. May you awaken us to the gifts we have, the purpose we have, the calling we have, and the commitment that we may need to make to you. May we get into vehicles Saturday firmly, firmly committed to being set apart, separate, other than, or firmly committed to following Babylon and coming up with our own answers for life. There is no third option. So may we be clear by Saturday which option we choose. In Jesus' name, amen.